If you have a Bible, turn with me uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 29, uh, chapter 30, and chapter 31. We want to look at, in chapter 29, the Philistines, and then in chapter 30, the Amalekites, and then in chapter 31, we see Saul and his sons, and they are dead. We'll get more of that next week uh, concerning Saul's death, but that's how far uh, he had gone. Uh, basically, in our last study, David had spared King Saul's life two times that he had the opportunity uh, to take him out. And David's men said, look, take him out. God's put him before you. And remember what David said, I will not touch God's anointed. Remember that because you're going to see that he wants to go after Saul because he's there with the Philistines. And so David's life was not perfect, but he was forgiven. And then David pairs up with the Philistines at Gath. King Achish takes David in. We'll see tonight in chapter 29, it backfires. We also studied further uh, the downfall of King Saul as he had inquired at the witch of Endor. It's an abomination unto the Lord according to the Levitical law, even still today. We have no business dabbling in the magical arts. And it's a very popular uh, thing to do. And even in our culture today, and our culture here in the Southwest, it's okay uh, to have religion, and at the same time, it's okay uh, to seek the magical arts. Uh, that's not what the scriptures teach us. And I've shared this in time past. Over here on Solano, you have a lady, and, and she has a reading room there. She'll read your palm, and, and she'll read your tea leaves. She'll basically give you her uh, prophecies for your life. And yet, she's very religious. And people go to her. And what I get out of that is that when she started, it was just a little business. And go by now, it's all lit up, and it's all painted, and stuccoed. And, and I mean, obviously, people are going there. And people that claim to be Christian. And what business do you have if you're a Christian, and then uh, dabbling into the magical arts? Now, some of you might have gotten my email but there's a six-year-old boy that's being oppressed by demons. He's doing some channeling. The demons are telling him what to do. And his mom and the siblings at the household, nobody's a Christian. The boy really doesn't even know what he's doing. But the teacher spotted it. And the teacher happened to tell uh, some people that we know. And so they're praying for this boy, praying for the opportunity to go there and, and be able to share with mom. But these things are real, and I believe we're going to see more and more. The demons are not afraid. They're, they will start to materialize. And so let's get into 1 Samuel chapter 29. The Philistines dismissed David from the battle. What business did David uh, go into battle against Israel? And so let's get into this. Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by uh, a front which is in Jezreel. Uh, this area of Jezreel is right by Mount Gilboa. This is where the battle of Armageddon eventually will be fought in Revelation chapter 16. So it's a perfect place for a battle when you begin to see it. 
because the Battle of Armageddon will be in this particular area. It's about 185 miles deep and about 86 miles wide. And it's just many battles have been fought there before. And so understand what's going to happen in the time of Ezekiel 38 and Ezekiel 39. Remember the scripture says that the blood will run up to the horse's bridle. And so that's one significant war, if you may. Notice verse 2. Now in the lords of the Philistines, they pass in review by the hundreds and by the thousands. But David, listen to this, and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. Remember, Achish is the one that likes David. Achish is the one that's been, uh, you know, basically feeding David, taking care of David. And he gave him a place in Ziglag. And so David brings up the rear of the army. But the other Philistine uh, princesses, they see David and they know him. And so notice verse 3, then the princesses or the princess of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? Rightfully so, these guys are Philistines. What is David doing here? And Achish said to the princess of the Philistines, is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? And to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. And yet David has been deceiving him. David's been lying to him. David is just using him because Saul wanted to kill him. And so now he wants to battle against his own people. Unheard of. But the princes, verse 4, of the Philistines were angry with him. And so the prince of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow to return, speaking of David, that he might go back to the place which you have appointed for him, and do not let him go down with us to battle. Lest the battle, and he becomes our adversary in the battle, for with what uh, could be reconcile him uh, to his master, if not with the heads of these men. Listen, you need to send David back to Ziglag. You have a place for him. We don't trust him. He's going to come against us. Then he's going to go after our own heads. It's interesting because the other uh, Philistine princes, they know of David. And they're going to be speaking about, didn't they sing a song of David? And so the news was uh, all about David. They knew him. But yet Achish takes him in. Look at verse 5 now. Is this not David of whom they sang to one another in dances? And they said, uh, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And so David is well known. Everybody knew his accomplishments. And yet Achish is blinded by this. Then Achish called David and he said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright. And you're going out and you're coming in with me in the army is good for my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the other lords do not favor you. And again, yet David was in Achish, or excuse me, it was in Ziglag, the city that he gave him, Achish did. And then David would go throw these raids. And Achish didn't even know it. And so he was being deceived. And so David would just tell him whatever he needed to hear. 
But the other princes, the other rulers of the Philistines, they knew better. I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Therefore, look at verse 7, return now and go in peace that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. Achish likes David. He doesn't see the deception. And yet I want you to see this. In David's error, David's mistake, and this is us, it's called the grace of God. I make mistakes, you make mistakes. And sometimes I know the mistake and I still do it. Sometimes you know the mistake and you still do it. And sometimes we, we bank on the grace of God. Be careful. Because sooner or later, God will call you on the carpet. And this is exactly what David was doing. Notice verse 8. So David said to Achish, but what have I done? He's still keeping up the facade. And to this day... What have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord? Wait a minute. They're going to go fight against Israel, the Hebrews. They're going to go fight against uh, King Saul. David is saying that's his enemy. David is not thinking. What about the will of God? This, in this portion now, David's coming to the conclusion of Saul's life, but listen, this is one of the lowest points of David. And yet, he's going to take over as king when we get into 2 Samuel. He's at his lowest point. He lost touch with the anointing on Saul. Wasn't it David that said, I will not touch God's anointed? Did he forget that? It sure seems like it. He's ready to fight against Saul. Then Achish, verse 9, answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Notice that he gets spiritual. Just like King Nebuchadnezzar. And I think that's important for us to note. Just because we're going to church doesn't mean we're saved, born again of the Holy Spirit. And I've been around people, some of you have been around people, people can act a Christian. People can say the Christian word. As they say, they can use Christianese on you. And you go, oh, that brother's born again. That sister's born again. And so they can easily put up a front uh, to cover uh, their tracks with the wife or the husband or with the children. But who knows our hearts? God knows our hearts. What is David doing here? And notice Achish, I know that you're as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, you shall not go up with us to the battle. And so Achish is blinded. But finally, because of the pressure, he sends David back. Now, therefore, verse 10, rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you. And as soon as you are up early in the morning and have light, depart. David, at this point, let me just share this with you. He's weak in the Lord. When Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, he labels them carnal Christians. Is there such a thing as a carnal Christian? I've struggled with that for years. How can you be a carnal Christian, a fleshly Christian? And yet Paul says that. 
And remember back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a brother, they called him a brother, that was sleeping with his stepmom. And yet he responds later, he comes back to the Lord. But be careful when you see terminology like this. Notice now, it's time for him to leave. And so in verse 11, so David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up uh, to Jezreel. David was deceived himself. He was thinking of himself, not of God. He was not thinking of the call of God. Now, if you recall, and we're going to get into that, Samuel gave prophecy. And that prophecy was that Saul was going to die. And that's exactly what's going to happen. But what is David doing with the Philistines? What is David doing with the, uh, the sinful camp, if you may? And so can Christians uh, be born again of the Holy Spirit and then be carnal? Give me a break. And yet Paul says that of the Corinthian church. Either you're in Christ or you're out of Christ. What was the lukewarm church? Uh, the Laodiceans. One foot in the Lord and one foot in the world. Be careful. I will spit you out of my mouth, Jesus said. And so 1 Samuel chapter 30 now, David's conflict uh, with, with the Amalekites. Why is there a conflict with the Amalekites? Because Saul did not do what God told him to do. God said, get rid of the Amalekites. Utterly, remember the word? Utterly destroy them. Men, women, children, even the animals. Didn't he bring back King Agag? Didn't he bring back the choice sheep? And I think sometimes we fall trapped to that. We get rid of 90%, but we keep 10. We get rid of 99%, but we keep that 1% in the back pocket. I just might need that sin later, right? And so be careful. Now let's get into this. Got a lot to cover here in the first verse. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag. And the third day, the Amalekites have invaded the south of Ziglag. They attacked Ziglag. This was the place that was given to David and his 600 men that Achish provided. And notice not only did they attack it, but burned it with fire. And so King Saul disobeyed God when he was told to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Mark it down in 1 Samuel chapter 15. But the problem with the Amalekites started back in Genesis chapter 14. It's the first mention of the Amalekites. Now the Amalekites, remember Jacob and Esau? This are, these are Esau's descendants. When you come to Exodus chapter 17... Joshua is in a fierce battle. Moses is holding up his arms. The battle is being won. But Moses is getting tired. And so the arms would come down, and then the battle would change. And so Aaron and Ur see that. And they're appointed, and they sit, basically, Moses on a rock, and then they held up his arms. But as long as the arms were up, uh, the battle belong to the Lord. And so that position of trusting the arm of flesh, that's exactly what Saul did with the Amalekites. I, I always like to mention when Saul came back and he brought King Agag, it's like a trophy. He wanted to show him off. 
And then Samuel says, what is that bleating in my ears that I hear? He heard the bang of, of the, the lambs. Oh, I brought the choice lambs for the sacrifice of the Lord. It's not what God said. God said, destroy it. Now, I want you to mark this down in your notes. In the book of Romans in chapter 8, in the book of Colossians in chapter 3, Paul writes to the church at Rome, and he writes to the Colossians, and he says, kill the flesh. Kill the flesh. And so a lot of times, again, uh, we destroy part of the flesh, but we need to kill the flesh. I think we, we try to cover the flesh. I've done it, and you've done it. We're all guilty of it. And so we need to, uh, once and for all, we need to kill the flesh. And remember that old adage, which one is going to survive more? The flesh or the spirit? It's the one that you feed the most. The spirit is the one we want, but the one you feed the most. It's supposed to be the spirit at all times, but we have a tendency to feed the flesh. And the flesh will grow more than the spirit. And the Bible says the spirit shrinks back. Okay, look at verse 2 now. And had taken captive the women. Remember, they've attacked Ziglag. Uh, they taken captive the women and those who were there uh, from uh, the small to the great. And they did not kill anyone. That's the hand of God. But carried them away and they went their way. This is David's men, their wives. David's men, their children. The herds, David's two wives are taken captive. Only by the grace of God they did not die. Because God saw David's heir. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire. This is Ziglag. But their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Now remember, David's at Ziglag. Achish gave him the land. David has 600 men. And they were living comfortably there, but now everything's been taken that they possess. What good is Ziglag if you don't have your wife and your children? What good is Ziglag if your animals are not there? Your herds and such, so they took everything. But I look at God's grace, nobody was killed. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices, notice the position of the 600 men, and they wept until they could they had no more power to weep. Exhausted. Exhausted. I have seen people that have cried and cried and wept and wept and there's no more. There's nothing left. That's exactly what I've done enough funerals. I understand. I know it. And yet, there's a comfort when my parents passed, first my dad and then my mom. I knew that they were going to go home to be with the Lord. Oh, it hurts. But I have a promise. I will see them again one day. But when you're exhausted, you'll be from crying and weeping. That's just what's happening here. In verse 5, And David's two wives, Ahinoam, a Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, uh, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. This is not good. David is in pain just like the other men. Look at verse 6 now. And now David was greatly distressed. Uh, he says, for the people spoke of stoning him. 
because the soul of all the, the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughter. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I, I think we come to that place where we're broken. We come to that place where the trial has its effect in my life. We come to that place where not only are the men exhausted, but so is David. David is grieved. He's, his two wives are gone. And then he's grieving for the 600 men. Their wives, their children, they're gone. And now, let's take the grievance farther. David's heart, they want to stone me, Lord. David, it's time to repent. Now, I wrote down some things here that uh, speak to my heart. David's 600 men, remember they're hardcore. 1 Samuel chapter 22, they were men of debt. They were men of distress. They were men that were discontented. So they, these guys were evil. They were mean. They were warriors. They lost their wives now. They lost their children. They lost their herds. Let's kill David. That happens when there's much hurt and much pain. But there's no repentance. Let's kill David. This was David's motley crew. These were David's misfits. But they're frustrated with David. Because of you, David. And because of your uh, getting close to Achish. Yes, we have Ziglag, but look what's happened now. All of this is in God's plan. Sometimes God lets us take the rope until we hang ourselves. Look at verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. What's the purpose of the ephod? David's finally going to seek the Lord. And Abiathar uh, brought the ephod to David. Now, I've always put this down in my notes because it speaks to me. Why is it that sometimes it's the last thing that we seek and that's God? It seems like we wait till everything's exhausted. Okay, Lord, bring the ephod. Shouldn't we be seeking the Lord from the very beginning? Why should God be the last thing that I seek when it should have been the first thing that I seek? Now, I want you to write this down. In Psalm 42, verse 5, this is a psalm of the sons of Korah. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. God is going to bring you out of whatever you're in. I've been talking to Bill uh, Kokan. I've been texting him. I've been talking on the phone and such. And he's going through the fire. And he knows that the Lord has him in this place right now. And it's not easy. I see the pain. Pastor Cliff this past week, in the fire because of his daughter Lydia. Some of you, the trials, the tribulation, the hardship and the pain. And you say, well, when is this over with? And that's what Bill's been saying. And then Bill reminds me, Bob, Pastor Bob, the Lord says, he'll never give me any more than I can handle. And I know what he's thinking because you get to that point and you say, I can't handle it anymore. And so, what is going on in the life of David? Verse 8. And David inquired of the Lord. 
David inquired of the Lord. Now, uh, um, praise God that he did. But David, what were you doing? What were you doing thinking of coming up against Saul? I know Saul's not right, but you said yourself, I will not touch God's anointed. Sometimes we can give advice, but we're so quick to forget. We're so quick to forget. And so notice that he says, uh, David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? The ones that wiped out Ziglag and took all their, their family. Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, listen to this, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail. Listen to this, promise of God, you're going to recover it all. The Old Testament says that, that the devil will take what the canker worm can eat, but God will give it back. God will give it back, and that's the book of Job, chapters 1 and 2. By the way, we're going to study that Sunday morning and finish up our series. Notice now, so David went, he and his 600 men uh, who were with him, and they came to the brook Bashor, and he says, where those stayed who were left behind. 200 are going to stay behind. And that's a significant stay behind, a third, basically. And so, when the other men come back, they're not going to be happy to share the spoils. Watch this. God checks our hearts no matter what. But David pursued, he and the 400 men, for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Bashor. 200 were burned out. And so David takes the 400 men. Now, those 400 men, they went with David, but inside they had to be churning. Well, why do they get to stay? When God does something, why do we question it? And you know, uh, there is a parable of the, of the worker. I'll get to that in just a minute. I'm going just a little bit ahead of myself. But notice now, the 200 men stayed behind. And the 400 went with David. In verse 11, then they found an Egyptian uh, in the field and brought him uh, to David. And they gave him bread and he ate. And he, they let him, uh, excuse me, drink water. They could have killed him very easily, but instead they're going to strengthen him. Did they know what they were doing or are they really being nice people? I don't know. Let's go into it. And then it says, and they gave him this Egyptian, you're going to see, hasn't eaten for three days and three nights. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him and he had eaten no bread nor drank any water for three days. What did they give him with the raisins and, and the figs? A sugar fix. Brought him up right away. And he was revived. But there's a reason, there's a purpose behind it. Notice now. The provision to bring his body back up. I mean, how are you going to fight if you haven't uh, eaten for three days and three nights and you haven't had water? So David used this purpose, and you're going to see in the next verse. Uh, um, most of us watch sports from time to time, and you watch any running sport, football, track, uh, you watch rugby, 
you watch uh, soccer, there's a lot of running. And what do they got in the sidelines? Gatorade. And you better drink it or you're going to pass out in the field. That is was a, a great invention. You got to replenish what you're losing out there. Used to be back in the day, uh, they would just uh, fill you with salt pills. Remember that? And so the Gatorade. Look at verse 13. He says, Then David said to him, To whom uh, do you belong and where uh, are you from? Speaking to the Egyptian. And he said, I'm a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. There's the first hint <laughs> that Saul didn't do his job. They were supposed to remove all the Amalekites through death. And my master left me behind. I'm sure they left him for dead. He was probably the worst one. Three days, three nights, no food. Because three days ago, I fell sick. Now, I put in my notes here, coincidence? Trust me, church. There is no coincidences in the kingdom of God. Ooh, how did that happen? God is in control. Be careful. I know some of you use the language. I don't. I try to stay away from it. Oh, good luck, brother. Good luck, sister. There's no luck involved. Go over there to that lady. Let her read your palm if that's what you believe. <laughs> it's God's divine intervention. It's God's divine sovereignty. I often look back and, and then I say, okay, I didn't catch it, but I see your hand, Lord. God has a purpose and a plan uh, for everything. And so David's not finished yet. In verse 14, we made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherahites and the territory which belongs to Judah and the southern area of Caleb. And we burned Ziglag with fire. This was David's home. These men, that was their home and their families. It's a miracle this Egyptian is alive. But they want something from him. They want something from him. And David said to him, verse 15, Can you take me down uh, to this troop, the ones that uh, destroyed Ziglag? And he said, this is the Egyptian, smart move here, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master. And I will take you down uh, to their troop. I mean, his body strengthened now, but so is his mind. Again, they know about David, and they know David's going to take me out. As soon as I give him the information he needs, swear to you, to me by your God. Again, interesting that these people all knew about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew. Notice now when David gets there, and when he brought him down, verse 16, uh, there they were spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because all the great spoil which they had taken uh, from the land of the Philistines, Ziglag, it's the land of the Philistines, but all the property and all the people belonged to David and his men. Now, they were in the camp, much merriment meant they were drunk, what a time to strike. And that's exactly what David does. Then David attacked them. Listen to how long he did it. From twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and they fled. All night 
they struck them. All night they went against them, and the, the power of God was with them, and they conquered. Uh, David is doing the will of the Father now. And so look at uh, uh, verse 18. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David re uh, rescued his two wives. God said that they would take the victory. God said that nobody would be left behind. And so imagine at that point, David had to have been, Lord, thank you. Why? Because he inquired of the Lord. The promises of God are there. It, it has nothing to do with the ephod. It's part of the law. Uh, but the priest was there with the ephod, and David done this before. That was the mode of operation that they sought the Lord. And so when we go to prayer, we don't need an ephod, but you need to pray and seek the Lord. There needs to be a cleansing, a washing, an emptying of ourselves, and then we seek God. Notice, so David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, but most of all for David, he took back his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything, which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Very important here. Because David is the one that was leading the pack. It's the same with God's grace. No matter how great we sin, and we don't use sin because I'm covered with grace. Grace is there. It's unmerited favor. I deserve judgment, but he gives me his grace. But why tempt the hand of the Lord? Well, I'm going to get away with this on Friday night, on Saturday night. Anyway, I'm coming back to church on Sunday, and I'll repent, I'll pray, I'll seek the Lord. God will forgive me. He's forgiven me before. Yes, he has, and yes, he will. But be careful with that logic. Why would you want to tempt the Lord? And I've seen Christians do that. And so David is back on track now. Then David took all the flocks and the herds <clears throat> that, had, uh, that they had driven before, those other livestock, and they said, this is David's spoil. I like that David took his cut, if you may. David took his, uh, you know, tithing. David took what belonged to him. And this is good because David's not going to keep it. David's going to give it away. And I think that's precious of David's heart. And remember, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And yet he sinned greatly. He sinned greatly. But that's what Psalm 51 is all about. In verse 21, now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David. And when they also had made uh, to stay uh, at the brook Beshor, he says, so they went out to meet David uh, and to meet the people who were with them. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. David's happy. I brought back your spoils. I brought back your wives and your family. But wait a minute, there's 400 other guys that are not going to like this. And I think sometimes we could fall prey to that. Then all the wicked and the worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, these are the 400. Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil. 
that we have recovered except for every man's wife and children and that they lead them away and depart. Be careful. Count your blessings. The victory is in Christ. They are so quick to forget, they get angry. I understand us. We're getting our, our, our spoils. David, you got your spoil. But those 200 guys, they didn't go to battle. We're so quick. I have seen this over and over. Uh, when it comes time for somebody on death row to die, how dare them? How can they go to heaven when they killed, you know, 20 people and then they go to prison, they get jailhouse salvation, and now they're going to be, uh, you know, with lethal injection, and you're telling me they're going to go home to be with the Lord? Yes. That's not fair. I've been a Christian 30 years. I've been a Christian 40 years. I gave up drinking. I gave up, they didn't give up nothing. Oh, be careful. That's exactly what they're saying here. And, and we can so easily fall trapped to it. Notice uh, in verse 24, for who will heed in this manner, this matter, but as his part who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be to those who stay in the supplies. If you have the King James, I like to translate, those that stay with the stuff, they shall share alike. Pastor Chuck loves this passage. He equates it to the missionaries. There's missionaries that we support in this church. There's missionaries that at one time, I don't know where Costa Mesa is at now, but at one time they were supporting 128 missionaries. 128. Full coverage, if you may. But Chuck believed that he would look at a missionary and if he could get dividends from them, he was going to support them. Not financial dividends, spiritual dividends. He liked for people to go out. And he taught us, be involved with missions. If we don't go to the mission field, support those that are doing. And I believe everyone that we're supporting in the mission field from this chapel, they're doing the work of God. Be careful, because we're not in the mission field. We shouldn't get the blessing they're getting. Why not? Or they, they shouldn't get our blessing. Why not? Now, mark down the parable. I told you I was speaking earlier. Matthew chapter 20, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Remember the story? There was those workers that were working all day long, eight hours, ten hours. And then there was a couple of guys at the end of the day, and they came to work in the vineyard. And the master hires them. And then there was only two more hours of work. And then they all drew their paycheck. And the ones that worked ten hours, eight hours, said, that's not right. They only work four. They only work two. They only work one. And you paid them the same? What's it to you? Aren't you getting paid? Well, if I would have known that, I wouldn't have come in till the end. That's what they're thinking. Be careful. That's just when greed sets in. This is when uh, pride sets in. Man, look at my hands. I'm, I'm all blistered. I've been here since 6 o'clock. Guy walks in at 4 o'clock and he gets a paycheck at 6. Not right. 
I've been saved 400 years and they got saved last week. They're going to heaven? That's not right. That's the mentality people think. Shouldn't you rejoice? Shouldn't you rejoice that that person on death row gave their life to Christ? I think we need to check our, our checks and balances, as they say. But I like what the King James says, uh, those that stay behind in this stuff. Let, let's face it, not everybody's going to go to battle. Not everybody's going to go to the mission field. There's always going to be those that are going to stay behind taking care of this stuff. Notice verse 25. So it was from that day forward, he made it a statue, a law, a covenant, an ordinance for Israel to this day. In other words, don't you worry about them. You worry that you got your spoils and then they got theirs. You know, sometimes our hearts have to be checked. Sometimes our heart. Uh, for instance, over here at Klein Park, not everybody's there all day. A lot of people tell me ahead of time, Pastor Bob, I can come for three hours. I have to leave. I got an appointment. I go, come. I don't care. And thank God I've never had anybody saying, where'd they go? Because everybody's too busy doing their work. And then if they do ask, I'm going to tell them they went to the clothesline. Don't worry about them. <laughs> oh, I don't want to go to the clothesline. <laughs> uh, wasn't it David's spoils to give away anyway? It was David's to give away. Why are you questioning it? He didn't take from them. David took from what he, he had. I like that. Notice, so it was, verse 25, uh, they made the law. Verse 26, now, when David came to Ziglag, he sent some of the spoils to the elders of Judah. Listen to David's heart. And to his friends, and he said, here is a present for you from the spoils of the enemies of the Lord. Finally, David, you recognize that the Philistines, that the Amalekites, they're the enemies of the Lord. Not King Saul. David, God will take care of King Saul. But we want to help God, don't we? It was David's spoils. That's what we read earlier. Look at verse 27, the conclusion. Uh, I'll try some of these names, okay? David gives us an indication here. There was a lot to give away. He took his share. These other guys aren't complaining. They had their share too. Besides what they took that belonged to the, the 400, 600 men, they took other spoils too. That's the benefit of war. You took what, you know, you took after you killed off everybody. Look at verse 27 through verse 31 now. So those who were in Bethel, those who were in Ramoth, and the south, those who were in uh, Jatir. And, and so David's giving away the spoils. Those who were in Eror, uh, those who were in, in Shipmoth, or Sipmoth, and those that were in uh, Eskimo, <laughs> I'm going to say Eskimo, sounds better, and those who were in Rakal, uh, those who were in the cities of the Jermalites, Jer never mind Bob, stop it, and who were in the cities of the Kenites, and those who were at Hormah, and those who were in Chorserin, and I know I butchered these, but you don't know how to read them either way, and so, and those that were in Antioch. And those who were in Hebron, all right, finally, I know the word. And those, all the places that where David himself and his men were accustomed to row. Listen, David knew these people. 
And David loved these people. And David took, well, I, I have plenty. I have plenty. My, my family has plenty. I, maybe David was more happy that I have my wives back. Let me give the rest away. <laughs> Again, we're going to be giving out Thanksgiving baskets, and there's going to be those that are going to come twice to take. There's going to be those that come because another church sent them. And don't get frustrated with that. And if you're here helping us distribute and you see somebody come twice, I don't care. Let them have it. Let them have it. And you know, hey, they already got a turkey. Now they got another. Be careful. We'll become just like David's men. That's not right. And so notice now, we come to the end of King Saul. We'll see his end next week. But we see the outcome already. And so, very sad, when a child of God is judged, and Saul takes his own life, does he or doesn't he? We're going to read on. Did he go to heaven? That's a good question. Was there enough grace? I know there's plenty of grace, but was there enough for King Saul? I don't think you know the answer to that, because I don't know the answer to that. But if you do know the answer to that, well then, keep it to yourself. Because I want to hang on to the grace of God. I want to hang on to the grace of God. Otherwise, you're going to go around saying, oh, you, you, you. And you know, oh, you're like Saul. You're worse than Saul. You're going to hell. I hope and pray that Saul repented. He had time because he didn't die right away. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for seeking out the witch of Endor. Forgive me, Lord, for trying to kill David. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Because if, if we cry out to God, God is faithful and he's just to forgive us, church. And so let's just get into this now. Uh, don't forget the sovereignty of God. Oh, I tell you. If you understand the sovereignty of God, God bless you. But I tell you what, I've done things, you've done things, and the grace of God, the sovereignty of God, the hand of God. God is merciful. God is loving. God is kind. God is compassionate. Where I want to judge, you want to judge. Look at God's grace. Let's, let's just a few verses here in 1 Samuel chapter 31. This is the conclusion of Saul, and we're going to be getting into the life of David. The tragic end, my caption of my Bible said, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from uh, before the Philistines, and they fell slain in Mount Gelboa. Then the Philistines followed hard, listen to that, after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, they killed Abinadab, and they killed uh, uh, Malshuk. Uh, these are Saul's sons. What went through David's heart? Him and Jonathan were the best of friends. It had to hurt him, it had to kill him. It had, oh Lord, why? This is how far uh, Saul had taken him. The battle became fierce. Look at verse 3. Against Saul, the archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. He's not dead. He's wounded. But Samuel said in 1 Samuel chapter 15 that the kingdom would be taken away. And also said that he would be judged. 
But did he go to heaven? I want to believe that he did. Here's the outcome when we don't take care of the flesh. Again, uh, Romans chapter 8, Colossians chapter 3, the King James says, mortify the flesh. I like the King James word. The New King James says, kill the flesh. Or it's going to return, listen, and it's going to bite you. We play with fire, what do they say? Sooner or later, you're going to get burned. Ah, look at this. Ah, look at that. When we were kids, we had the bonfires. Everybody liked to jump over them. There was always one dumb little kid that would fall in the midst of it. How do they do that? I did it 20 times. I never fell. Not let it fry. Look at verse 4. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got hurt. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through. And listen to this. This was the culture and abused me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. I mean, how you, David wouldn't take Saul's life. Armor bearer knew better. Therefore, Saul took a sword and he fell on it. Did he commit suicide? The Bible says, no, he didn't die yet. And then, when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he assumed he also fell on his sword and he died with him. He assumed he died. We'll catch it next week. But I like the loyalty here. Or was it fear? He didn't protect his king. And so he takes his life. So Saul and his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day. Very sad day in Israeli history, military history. Remember, David would not touch God's anointed. And it still hurt David. Be careful when we want to correct somebody. Be careful when we want to judge somebody. Pray for them. Opportunity comes up, talk to them. But don't go up to their face and tell them, because it's not going to work. Love them. Hopefully they'll see the air of their way. Notice now, as we're going to finish it off here, in verse 7, And when the men of Israel, who were on the other side of the valley, and those who were on the other side of the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and they fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. They, they took off. And so it happened the next day when the Philistines came uh, to strip the slain. Listen that they found Saul and his three uh, sons fallen on Mount Gilboa, and they cut off his head, and they stripped off his armor, and they sent word throughout the land of the Philistine to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among their people. Various cities in the Philistines. Remember those princes earlier? Get David out of here. And so they want to show off their, uh, their victory. Notice that they cut off the head and they stripped off the armor. Uh, what is the, uh, the motive of killing in the Middle East today? Cutting off heads. It's, something that, it's not something new. It's something they've always done. Notice now, verse 10. Then they put his armor uh, in the temple of Asheroth. And, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bashan. 
The word Bashan is the house of security. They're at the north end of Mount Gilboa, just above the Jordan River, the other side of the Jordan. A sad day again, military history. All because Saul kept the flesh. He was supposed to remove the flesh. The flesh will come back, as we shared. In verse 11, now, when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard that the Philistines had, had done to Saul, this is on the other side, Jabesh Gilead, the other side of the Jordan, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night, and they took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bashan, and they came to Jabesh and they burned them there. Cremation! There's a big controversy in the Christian circle. Should we cremate? Shouldn't we cremate? What's the important part of us? We are body, soul, and spirit. My body is going to die. My spirit and my soul is going to be with the Lord. You can cremate in two or three hours, or you can take 30, 40 years. But sooner or later, you're going to be cremated. You're going to turn back to what? Dust. Dust. Now, you want to be buried? That's your business. But there's no law. Remember the worms. <laughs> I'm not pushing cremation. I know what I'm going to do. Mary knows what she's going to do. We're going to be stuffed. No, we're not. <laughs> Why do I say those things? Okay, I looked this up on the internet. How long is cremation? The casket or the container is placed in the cre uh, cre cremation chamber where the temperatures rise for 1,400 to 1,800 uh, Fahrenheit. After approximately two to two and a half hours, all organic matter is consumed by heat or evaporation. The remaining bones and fragments are known as cremated remains, etc., etc. I'm not going to spoil your lunch. Nothing in Scripture, nothing in Scripture that says to cremate or to bury. You see both in the Scriptures. Oh, I have pastors that have told me, you cannot cremate. Why? Because uh, it's, I go, what about Saul? Oh, but they were all butchered. They were still cremated. People, I don't know, they just get up into it. Listen, what's the most important part? Watch. 2 Corinthians 5.8. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Two and a half, three hours, four hours to cremate. 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you're still going to go back to dust. In verse 13, then they took their bones and they buried them under the a tamarisk tree at Jabesh and they fasted for seven days. They fasted for seven days. In 1 Samuel, we see the life of Saul. 2 Samuel, we're going to begin to see the life of King David. And by all means, David was no picnic. But God said, he was a man after my own heart. What we see the difference of David, this is what I see in the scripture, from David and from King Saul. I don't see true repentance in King Saul. He would say whatever you needed to hear. But David repented. 
If you've never studied in depth Psalm 51, it's a psalm of repentance. David repented. He repented. He, he had an affair with Bathsheba. They had a child. The child died. Kills Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. David has to be exposed by Nathan the prophet. David was no picnic, but he was a man after God's own heart. I love David. Good man. And Saul, let us look at Saul and say, Lord, I don't want to be like Saul. I don't want to be like Saul.